Welcome to our Monday, Thursday service. Those of you who are joining us from home, welcome to you as well. For our call to worship, we're going to read from John 13. Rather, I will lead us. And this is what Monday, Thursday is about. So let's look at John 13, verses 1 through 5 first, and then verses 31 through 35. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world and to the Father... Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. 
Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, he rose from supper and laid aside his outer garments, taking a towel, tying it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Verse 31, when he had gone out, Jesus said, now is the time the Son of Man glorified and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. Little children, yet a little while I am with you. You will seek me. And just as I said to the Jews, so now I also say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. This is the new commandment. This is the new mandate. Monday, Thursday, this is what we celebrate. So would you rise with me? Would you bow your heads and would you pray? Father, we pray that your spirit would rest here in this place and lead us to you. Would we sit at your feet? And as we think even about this table in front of us, Lord, would we look at you, our humble servant king, and we worship in song and in life. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Let's continue in worshiping in song. See him there, see him there, the great I am, a crown of thorns upon his head, the Father's heart displayed for us, oh God, we thank you for the Lifted up on Calvary's hill, we curse your name, and even still, you bore our shame and paid the cost. Oh God, we thank you for the cross. See, behold. And behold the Lamb, the story of redemption written on His hands. And Jesus, you will reign forevermore. The victory is yours. We sing your praise and endless hallelujahs to your holy name. For us, this sacrifice for every sin, our Savior died. The Lord of life can't be contained. Our God has risen from. 
death is done we'll see your face bright as the sun we'll bow before the king of kings oh god forever we will sing behold the lamb the story of redemption written on his hands jesus you will reign forevermore
come to the Lord's table. We're gonna sing this song, just thanking the Lord uh, for the bread, for the wine, for the words, for what this table means for the church. So it might be unfamiliar for most of us, but we'll sing it twice through so we can kinda get the hang of it. For the bread which you have broken, for the wine, which you have poured for the words which you have spoken now we give you thanks of oh lord in your service lord defend us in our hearts keep watching ward in the world wherever you send us may your kingdom come again for the bread for the bread which you have broken for the wine which you have poured for the words which you have spoken now we give you thanks O Lord in your No. 
of unrest and arrogant pride. Jesus, I come, Jesus, I come into thy blessed will to abide. Jesus, I come to thee. Out of myself to dwell in thy love, out of despair into raptures above, upward forever on wings like a dove. Jesus, I come. I come, Jesus, I come into the joy and light of thy home. Jesus, I come to thee. Out of the depths of ruin untold, into the peace of thy sheltering fold, ever thy glorious face to take your seats. Well, it's been a a long year since we've been able to celebrate um, the table like this on a Maundy Thursday. I remember last year, um, we had to scramble and we moved everything online. And it was, um, it was a tease, for lack of better words, because we sat at a table with the elements in front of us. But we didn't take of the table because we were separated. We were scattered about our city. But tonight, as we come together, the table front and center draws our attention. But before we go to the table, I want us to be challenged, encouraged, convicted by God's word. And as the spirit works and moves in this place and in you and through you, that God would continually make his church, his bride, more and more beautiful. So what is it that Maundy Thursday means? Right? It's not a mispronunciation of Monday. It's Maundy. And why Maundy? Well, it comes from the, the Latin word mandatum, which we derive our English word mandate, or in other words, command. So Maundy Thursday is a commemoration and a remembrance of the new commandment that Jesus gives to his disciples in John chapter 13. We read that earlier as we began our service. Verse 34 of John 13 says, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another just as I, Jesus, have loved you. You also are to love one another by this. All people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Clear as day, Jesus says, I give to you, my disciples, a new commandment, a mandatum. By what means and by whose example, though, ought we to love one another? Because at its basest and simplest form, the command to love one another seems simple. 
I think I can do that, we say. But is our example just our own experience? Is our example even those in our lives who've shown us love? And I think yes, in part, but not in whole. I believe fully our example to love is found in the person and in the work of Jesus Christ. And we see this on full display in Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. Here we can see how we, the people of God, the church of God, the bride of Christ, perimeter church specifically in this locale, how we can be united with Christ through his obedience, through his humiliation, through his suffering, through his exaltation. So I will read for us now Philippians chapter 2. Paul says this to the church in Philippi. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father Amen. God's word for us. Thanks be to God. Two simple things that I want us to consider and be challenged by. The first one is this, that we, the people of God, are to be united in Christ, our example in life. To be a people who are united in Christ, who, by the way, is our example in life. And I could probably even... Uh, clarify that further and say our example for community, our example for family, for our example for oneness. Be united in Christ is what Paul is getting at. Verses one through five says a lot about unity and about selflessness amongst the people of God, excuse me, of, of God. But let's not gloss over those two very important words because Paul says a lot in these five verses, does he not? But it's easy to miss the center and the, uh, the, the, the power source of how we are to do what Paul is challenging us to. In verse 1, it says, if there's any encouragement in Christ, in Christ, this is how the Christian, this is how the follower, this is how the devotee, the disciple of Christ is able to do anything that Paul suggests in these five verses. In Christ. How are we to be of the same mind and, and of love and in full of cord? In Christ. How are we to rid ourselves of selfish ambition and conceit? In Christ. 
How are we to pursue humility and count others better than even ourselves? You got it, in Christ. How are we possibly to look not only to our own interests, but also to the interests of others? Say it with me, in Christ. How are we to model our lives in this way, having renewed minds, renewed thinking, as Paul says later, in, or in other places like Romans 12, in Christ. This stands in direct opposition to the way that so many of us, myself included, frame our lives. We say, what about me? Christ says, no, I in you. I think about that question, what about me? I've heard it a lot in my own life as a child, even as an adult. I often say, well, what about me? What's in it for me? What am I going to get out of this? And I put myself front and center. I see this in my kids, of course, who are 11 and 6, right? And that's to be expected. They're children. I can't think of a better example of this idea of what about me mentality than, than um, one time when I was invited to go to a, a cow auction. I'm sorry, I said a cow auction. I meant to say a car auction. <laughs> cow auction and car auctions are very different. An automobile auction. And I don't know if you've ever had that privilege of going to an automobile auction. Uh, it is a sight to behold. I guess any auction is a sight to behold, right? Most of us, we're accustomed to the, the electronic version of an auction, otherwise known as eBay. <laughs> but an automobile auction, they effectively roll out these cars, and there's a group of people, and there's an auctioneer. And I was actually very saddened by the fact that the auctioneer did not speak at a very rapid pace and, and say, I've got 25, I've got 35, 35, 45, 45, 55. You know, there was none of that. It was a lot of eye looking at the auctioneer. And yes, there were people who were raising up signs. And I was fascinated by this. As a 21-year-old, I was fascinated. What an experience this was. An auction, what you see is a group of people saying, what about me? Look at me. I want that. What about me? What about me? Well, what does the gospel of Christ, what does in Christness what does that have to say about our natural what about me disposition? It says, put yourself aside. Put yourself aside. What is Paul saying over and over and over again in these five verses in Philippians 2? Don't just think of yourself. Think of your brother. Think of your sister. Think of your family. Think of the people in the community of God. Be united together. D.A. Carson, who's a theologian and a historian and a scholar, he, he says it this way. The church itself is not made up of natural friends. It's made up of natural enemies. What binds us together is not common education, common race, common income levels, common politics, common nationality, common accents, common jobs, or anything of the sort. Christians come together not because they form a natural collocation, but because they have been saved by Jesus Christ. In this light, they are a band of natural enemies who love one another for Jesus' sake. Jesus works to eradicate the what about me disposition and says, no, think about me, Christ, 
and then think about your brother, think about your sister. On Monday, Thursday, it's particularly tempting to look at this table without thinking about what set up the table and, and, and thinking about um, what the occasion was before the table and what was said prior to the table and, what, and who was around this table. What was it that was done? First, Jesus took off his outer garment and he did what a servant should have done and he washed his disciples' feet. What was said at this table? This is my body broken for you, my blood poured out for you. And then he says later, a new commandment I give to you, love one another. You see it in the elements. You've also seen it in my actions, my service to you. And who was there? The disciples, a ragtag group of men who sometimes got it, but a lot of times just did not get it. The application here for us as followers of Christ is that we must be centered on the work and the person of Jesus Christ. Or to put it more simply, be in Christ. Walk in Christ. What does that look like? Well, we see it in verses one through five. Counting others better than ourselves. Now, this is not just a, a simplistic, naive, juvenile way of saying, okay, you can go first and I'll go second. No out of love, out of concern, out of oneness and unity, we say, I will put other needs, the needs of my brothers and sisters ahead of my own. The application also is that the person and work of Christ demands that we pursue gospel unity and oneness. They're not two mutually exclusive things. They are one and the same. To be in Christ is to seek redemption and unity that is found in redemption. So we are a people to be united in Christ and our example being Jesus Christ himself. Secondly, we are to be a people who worship Christ, who is our servant king. Perhaps many of you know about Philippians chapter 2 because it's so, uh, it's, so, it's so poetic in its nature. And in fact, it's, many scholars believe that it was a hymn it was a, a song for the early church that taught doctrine of who Jesus was and what doctrine was it but the, the fact that Christ incarnated, that he came from heaven to earth. This is a song of the servant king, and it naturally breaks up. We see his servanthood, right? We see his debasement. We see his humiliation, and we also see his exaltation later in these verses, but let's talk about this incarnation of Christ first. This is not a new idea or an idea that's exclusive to Paul here in Philippians 2. In fact, Jesus says this about himself, or John rather says this as a witness to Jesus in John 1.14. The word became flesh. Literally, he incarnated. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. Paul later says in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. And then here we see in Philippians 2, 
Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, verse six, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. He incarnated flesh came. Jesus came in flesh. God with us, Emmanuel. The author of Hebrews also talks about this in chapter two. Since therefore the children share it in flesh and blood, he himself, Jesus, likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. For surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham, that's us. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Jesus, the word of God, became flesh. He became man. Michael Reeves puts it this way. As he writes in Rejoicing in Christ, he says, the one on high became low, the creator became a creature, the word became speechless. The very power of God became a helpless fetus. That is our picture of a humiliated servant king. But then verse nine, therefore, if you enjoy music like I do, or movies like I do, or television shows like I do, you know the power of a theatrical swell of strings in the background, maybe. Or maybe a low rumble or sound that kind of permeates through the auditorium because it, it signifies and it, 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 it lets you know as, a, as a, a watcher in the audience, something is about to happen. And that's what this therefore is. It is a pregnant moment that says, hold on, buckle up. It's about to get a whole lot better. Not only did the word become flesh, not only did God become man and die the death that we could not die, but God also rose him from the dead. Look at what it says in verse nine. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. I've never been to Mount Everest and I would imagine most of us have not been there. And I've never been in the Pacific over the Mariana Trench. But the disparity of distance between the peak of Mount Everest to the very bottom of the Mariana Trench is equivalent to 12 miles, 12 miles. I've heard that when you're at the base of Everest, it is an intimidating sight. And as someone who is terrified of open water, like the ocean, I dare not ever go to the Mariana Trench. But if you were to invert Mount Everest, if somehow you were able to move that mountain, it would sit at the bottom of Mariana Trench and the trench itself, still, you could go half the, the entire height of Mount Everest and you still would not be out of the trench. That is death defying. It makes no sense in my mind. A sense of awe, awe and wonder 
and fear come over me. But that is nothing in comparison to the distance that Christ traveled to come to this earth from heaven. If there is anything that we ought to wonder at and marvel at and be in awe of, it is this work of Christ. And why? Why did he do this? To redeem all things, to make all things new. And Paul says it here in verses one through five, that you, the church, would be one. John talks about this in John 13 to love one another. I've often heard it said, Christ came to live the life that we could not live, to die the death that we possibly would not dare to die, so that we might be together with him. The self-centered person would say, what about me? We must be careful not to see Christ's work of obedience as only for our own good. It is true, yes, but let's not live in this vacuum. The humiliation and the obedience and the exaltation of Christ is a means by which we ought to strive for Christian community. And what greater reminder do we have of this community than by coming to the table together? Romans 8 talks about we are a family. First Peter 2, it talks about us as being a, a, a group of living stones, a temple with Christ himself as a chief cornerstone. And in 1 Corinthians 12, Paul talks about the body of Christ. We who are many with Christ as our head. Brothers and sisters, church, would we forego this what about me mentality and begin to think of Christ and how that ought to make us and it demands us to think about our brother, about our sister, whether in need or in plenty. We're gonna take a moment to reflect quietly before Bob comes to, uh, to lead us into the table. And perhaps we, because we have not celebrated Monday Thursday for two years, it would be a good time for us to consider what it means to love one another. Would we be willing, as Jesus himself was, to wash one another's feet? Would we be willing to love our neighbor as ourselves? So let's bow our heads and let's pray and take a moment as the worship team comes back out, quietly reflecting on these words of Philippians 2. And how is it that Christ redeems us.
Lord, as we uh, have heard these words from our brother Jimmy out of your word, of Paul's letters to the Philippians, oh Lord, we are convicted, I'm convicted, of how you humbled yourself so much to save us and how seldom I willingly humble myself before my brothers and sisters. How eager I am to exalt myself. When you were humbled for the exaltation of your own glory by the saving of sinners like us, oh Lord, lead us to love each other because of how deeply you have loved us. Lord, lead us now as we partake of this sacrament that we might experientially sense our union with you and with one another. And we pray it in Jesus' name, amen. Before we partake of this table, I just want to underline what Jimmy has said here, so powerful. Uh, what this whole week is about, that we are united with Christ and we're united with one another. And in an astounding way, God's plan is that our union with Christ would be proclaimed to the world by our having a demonstrable unity with one another. And not just with one another in this church, but with every follower of Jesus throughout this city and every follower of Jesus throughout this country and every follower of Jesus throughout the world. That these enemies are now loving each other because they've been changed by the Prince of Peace Hear these words from the book of Ephesians, just a few verses taken out of three different chapters without comment to show how important it is that we live in union with one another. The apostle Paul says in Ephesians chapter two, for he himself is our peace who has made the two groups of people into one group. He has destroyed the barrier between them, the dividing wall of hostility that they had between each other by abolishing in his flesh the laws with his commandments and regulations. And his purpose was to do this, to create in himself one new being, one new man out of these two. We are one, therefore we live it out. He said, as a prisoner of the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of this calling you've received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace there, because there is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. And to this body of believers, he has given some to be apostles and some to be prophets and some evangelists and some as pastors and teachers. Why? to prepare God's people works of, for works of service so that what? So that the body of Christ may be built up until we reach unity in the faith and become mature. Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children and live a life of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. In this table, we proclaim and we demonstrate into some sense by the presence of his spirit, we experience our oneness with one another and not just with one another, with every follower of Jesus who has ever lived in any generation in any country around the world. 
and that is absolutely mind-boggling. As we come tonight to this, I exhort you to do this, to feed upon Christ. Here in our tradition, we don't believe that these elements become the body and blood of Christ, nor do they contain the body and blood of Christ, but we do believe that Christ is here in a special and spiritual way, and that just as every one of us will partake by faith, that we feed upon the Spirit of Christ in this sacrament, just like we feed upon Christ when we open his word and read it and hear it and meditate it. It's just the very the same thing. So tonight, I invite you to this table tonight, if these things are true of you, that you trust in Christ alone for your salvation. If you're still on a journey figuring out whether you trust in Jesus or not, you shouldn't partake. Uh, by partaking, you would say, I know I'm a sinner and I know my only hope for salvation is in Christ and I trust in him. And so if that is your profession of faith, we invite you, but with this contingency, uh, this is a visible sacrament for those who have become a member of the visible church. So if you trust in Christ alone, and sometime in your life there have been the leaders or the congregation of some group of people that said, yes, we believe you had a credible profession of faith in Christ, and you've been allowed into that membership of that church or this church, then this is for you. But if that's not where you are yet, I would encourage you tonight, though you might not partake of this element, partake of Christ. Ask Christ to come into your heart. Ask him to be your Lord and Savior and then pursue membership in this church or another church and then you can partake uh, joyfully the next time that you see this sacrament served. If you're joining us at home, uh, I encourage you, hopefully you have picked up the little, uh, the little wafer and the little uh, cup here from our church. If you haven't done that, we ask you not to go to the kitchen and just get, just get bread and, and juice. Uh, but to participate next time by coming by and picking up that cup so that we can, in a sense, demonstrate our unity, even if we're in different buildings. If you're here in the room, the elders will come soon and we'll distribute these elements. And as I said earlier, we don't believe there's anything magical or mystical about these, these elements, but there's something supernatural that happens when we partake by faith. Let me give a preview of what we're about to do. I'll pray in just a moment to set aside this sacrament and these elements. Then the elders will come and they will distribute the elements throughout the congregation. Let me ask you to hold those. And if you need gluten-free, raise your hand and somebody will bring you a gluten-free wafer. And then uh, after we all have received these little cups, uh, then I will give the words of institution that Jesus gave. This is my body, this is my blood. And when I say that, then you can begin, begin to partake. And we, we partake together. We're not gonna try to partake of each element at exactly the same time because these little things are too hard to get into, frankly. Never before in the history of the church has taking the Lord's Supper been so dependent upon one's digital dexterity. But it is now. So I'll say, take as long time as you want. You know, don't worry, don't get in a hurry. And if you can only take one of the two, if that's all you can get into, that's okay. It's happened to me, sitting right down here. It'll still work, okay? But after it's distributed, uh, take of each element, and if you would, as you do, think about Christ's body broken for you, his blood shed for you, and he's now here to commune with you and partake with joy. Though you partake confessing your sin and forsaking your sin, and especially with this theme tonight, if there are those that you hold a grudge toward, those that you sense are other than you and different from you and, and separate from you, and, and you're sort of against them, though they're followers of Jesus, perhaps, confess that, repent of that, and seek to be reconciled as soon as you can, because this is to demonstrate our union with Christ and our union with one another. Now let's pray together. Oh Lord Jesus, we do thank you here 
for these elements. We thank you that you provide something physical that we can touch and taste and feel. And that as we take this into our hands, that it reminds us that a very real body of yours, Lord Jesus, was broken. That very real blood spilled out of one place after another of your broken body. And by that spilled blood, we have been redeemed and our sins have been paid for and taken care of and we're reconciled to the Father and we become new creatures. And so we thank you for that and we praise you for that. So Lord, we thank you for this sacrament, but most of all, we thank you for what happened behind this sacrament, for the incarnation of our Savior, for his sinless life, for his vicarious atonement in our place for his miraculous resurrection for his powerful ascension to the right hand of your throne O father and now he reigns and he intercedes for us and he is a merciful and faithful high priest and one day he will come back again and make everything right everything right everything right and we thank you and we praise you for that so now Lord come and be with us may we sense your presence we pray it in Jesus' name, amen. As the elements are distributed. that Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread and broke it and said, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And then he took the cup and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood which is shed for many for the remissions of sins. Drink ye all of it.
thank you for the amazing, amazing love. Love that it can only come from a God who is pure and holy and so full of compassion that in, in this love, you've come to be one of us, lived the life we could not live, died the death we deserve to die, been raised to newness of life that we would experience newness of life. We thank you for this good news and may we live out of life of love for one another that reflects your love for us. And may the world be drawn to you, our Savior, because they see our love. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Church, let's stand together as we respond. Take the bread of life Broken for all my sin Your body crucified To make me whole again I will recall the cup Poured out in sacrifice to trade this sinner's end for your new covenant. Hallelujah. I live my life in
invite all of you to participate if your work schedule allows you to do so tomorrow in one of our two Good Friday services, either at noon or two o'clock. And you can go to our app or to our website to see if there's seats remaining here on the campus for either or both of those and or how you could live stream that. A great time to be had. Receive now the, this word of benediction, a blessing to you. And after that, remain standing where you are that we could sing the doxology together. And as you go from here tonight, may the love of God the Father, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, and may the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with every believing heart. Amen. Let's sing together. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above ye heavenly hosts. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Love my deep and boundless peace to.